you have an interest, you do the research, you sit down, you put the time in, and then you apply it and decide how much it's going to be in your life. Hello, listeners. My name is Megan Kilgore. I get to serve as an elected official here in Columbus, Ohio. I am the city auditor here, but today I am thrilled to join you as your guest host. The Gravity Podcast uh, is an experiment in consciousness and community and connection, all things that greatly resonate with me. And a special congratulations to my friend Brett Kaufman and the entire team of the podcast on your 100th episode. My goal today, listeners, is to introduce you to someone with an incredible story, one of, believe it or not, total engine failure. And my hope is, as we dive into her incredible story, that we can all connect with her and find lessons uh, in her focus, her leadership, mindfulness, and and frankly, self-compassion, lessons that we can apply to our daily lives. Christine Mortine is here with us today on Gravity. After a 25-year-plus career performing, teaching, and conducting classical music, Christine shifted from conducting instruments to flying them. Christine is an FAA-appointed designated pilot examiner, and she's a flight instructor. Christine loves flying just about anywhere, particularly in the backcountry. Educationally driven, Christine is an active in a variety of aviation-focused organizations and enjoys teaching well beyond her role as a flight examiner. She is a current board member of WOSU Public Media, the National Parks Conservation Association, Professional Pilots Association, and she's a founding board member for the Ohio Air and Space Hall of Fame and Museum. Christine donates her time flying for angel flights and young eagles, and she serves as a state liaison for the Recreation Aviation Foundation. All of this combines her love of the outdoors, hiking, travel, adventure, and developing airfields for and with her flying communities. And with that, a huge welcome to my friend, Christine Mortine. Thank you, Christine, for joining us today. Thanks. It's great to be here, Megan. Absolutely. So let's get down to it. First of all, Christine, I love your bio. It's my one of my favorite biographies of all my friends. You are a Renaissance woman. You are a pilot with so many acronyms of expertise behind your name. You're a flight instructor. But I really want to focus first on your career in classical music. You were there for about 25 years, right? Tell me about this. Yes, yes. My first 25-year career was in classical music as a teacher, professor, conductor, performer. You know, you got to kind of do wear a lot of hats to make that that a gig. <laughs> were you good? Were you like this? You know, naturally, were you a you were you young prodigy of music? How did this get into your 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 world? Oh, I'm just a, a local girl that yeah, I had a little bit of a talent. I mean, I started playing cello and piano in third grade, fourth grade, and started singing, and it was just kind of a natural talent there. So, so I kept kept writing it. And opera was what you, your, your vocal career, yes? It, you know, that was a piece of it. I, I enjoyed being a chamber musician because I like teamwork and I enjoy singing all kinds of music from Renaissance music to, you know, Bach cantatas and then in choral singing. I like 
I certainly enjoyed that. Opera, I dabbled in a little. My voice isn't the monster voice for opera. I can I can fill a hall of 2,000 in front of an orchestra. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't quite that voice. Like think Carmina Burana and soprano soloist. That was kind of my silo. So what made you, I guess, go from, I think you phrased it before, conducting and playing instruments to flying them. What what inspired that transition? You know, I'm I feel like I'm really one of the lucky ones. Like from the time I was very young, my my passion was music and I also always loved flying. And it could be that I liked the adventure piece of that. I'm a traveler, I'm a backpacker, but I really loved flying. And after 25 years in the music industry, my husband gave me an intro flight and I just, it was, that was a page to turn and it was my time to do that chapter. And I, I just couldn't be happier. And how long have you been flying now? I, well, here's a, here's a truth. I started flying at 45 and it's been 15 years. So (laughs) yeah, I think it's helped me being later in life having the tools and experiences. It's allowed me to kind of accelerate in a really nice way and have a pretty meaningful career quickly. But training in the aviation world is is a lot. There's a lot of training. It takes a lot of time. I had three college degrees and I feel like I got three more just in training in, in the aviation industry. What are your college degrees in? Oh, they're all in music. I have two bachelor's yeah. degrees and a master's. So if, you know, hypothetically, and as you know, I love aviation. I, I would have loved to have been an astronaut, but for this thing called chemistry and a lot of adherence to the hard sciences, <laughs> which was not my favorite thing. But I, I love the pursuit of, especially that expertise. And when, if you were to become a recreational pilot, how many flight hours are we talking here? What would that like training program be like? Oh, you to, to earn a private pilot's license? The regulations say a mandatory of 40 hours with an instructor. Typically, it's more like 70 hours. And that's, that's on top of curriculum. That is like right. That's not your own studying and, and the groundwork. That's actually with someone in the airplane. That's, you know, I think that what I'm trying to lead into is that you have 15 year belt of experience in mm-hmm. aviation. You're also, as, as uh, we've discussed, a flight instructor. But I don't know what could have prepared you for what happened this past June. And I right. want to kind of just transition into that because that's one of the things I think you are otherworldly to me mm-hmm. because some of your listeners or some of our listeners today, especially those in Ohio, might remember a pretty significant news story about a plane that crashed in the tree canopy in Worthington suburb here outside of Columbus. The pictures in the news articles are, are frankly just on the listeners. The, the front half of the plane appears to be largely gone, I think viciously crumpled, folded, and, and frankly pierced by tree limbs. Christine, when I look at these images online, the only word that comes to mind is hopeless. And yet you walked away. Well, so- I ran away. <laughs> 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 the fact that you ran, that's a whole other level of show. So take us back to that day. What was the weather like and how did your day start? Yeah, it, it it's, first of all, I have to give a nod to my aircraft because the fuselage, the part that I'm I'm sitting in, 
really was amazing. It, it, it did not crumble and it really stayed intact and, and helped, helped me. Like the skeleton. I, you'll have to explain that to me a little bit. Well, like when you climb in your car, you know, yeah. the part of the car where the seats are, Got not it. where the engine is and not, you know, it just really, it just nurtured me. And, and, but that's, there's a lot of things that contributed to that. So it was a beautiful day. I was going to fly solo, which I covet because I'm so evaluating flight or teaching flight. I really covet that time in my personal plane. And I was on my way to North Bass Island, where I'm hoping to put a fly-in camp campground. Awesome. Just departed OSU, leveled off a thousand feet above the ground because of CMH class charlie comes over so we do that to maintain clearance what does that mean oh every airport has their own distinction their their class delta is ohio state class charlie the big boys atlanta's class bravo for big but so i was maintaining this altitude till clear of cmh class charlie and then i was going to pop up and get higher and just crossing over 270, my engine kind of chortled. And I called the tower immediately, precautionary to say, hey, I think I need to head back. They cleared me 27 left. Everything was normal. And Is as that I, a runway? You were going to go back to another runway? Yeah, yeah. yeah they cleared me to this specific runway. Um, and I had the engine. You know, I was just being precautionary. As I was making the 180 turn, I lost all, all power to the engine. So at that point, you know, Tower said, if you want two, three, that's also available. And it became a point where I said, I don't have any engine. This is an emergency. And we got to talking a little bit about what that means, how many souls on board, what was the scenario. And they said, you're cleared whatever runway you can get to. We're talking a matter of seconds here. And it was clear to me I was not going to be able to make any runway. When you're just a 1,000 feet above the ground and you lose your engine thrust, then you become a glider. So I'm a 3,000-pound, 71-gallon glider. 71 gallons of fuel? 71 gallons? Yep. Yep. I had nearly full tanks. So, you know, I wasn't... I just was a nice, heavy, big plane. So that changes the glide ratio. And it was pretty clear to me I wasn't going to make it back to the earth. So I see Brookside Country Club on my right. That has people and trees and uneven surface. So that's a no-go. And then I see on my left a soccer field, no people, lots of metal soccer goals. But I thought I can navigate those goals. And I start to bank left. But when you bank and you don't have thrust, that depreciates your lift component. So I started losing lift more and the homes were right up against that field. So in those matter of seconds, I determined that was not a sound choice. I wasn't sure that I could get to the field. So I stopped banking, looked straight ahead, and that is where I found a treed area where I could not see any visible roofs. So like, you know, from like a physics perspective, you're in your, your beautiful plane. You're, you're up in the air. You're largely now, you have no engine. You have, you're just a glider right. of significant weight in the sky. And so what you're trying to do is float around 
seeking at all costs the safest place for you to land. And what, you, what you've already said twice or three times even is that you were trying to avoid people. Oh, my entire focus, and I, it, <laughs> there, there's some interesting uh, things that happened after this event that I pursued to understand, but my entire focus was to not kill anybody else. Wow. That was absolutely it. I mean, it's my choice to be there. It's not a, an innocent person on the ground's choice for me to have to do an emergency landing. So that was my entire focus. And once I did the 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 communicating with the tower and they knew what was happening, I did a what we call a magneto check. Hmm. And after that check, I lost the radio stack. Oh my gosh. I didn't lose electricity, but I, I lost the entire radio stack. So you have no communications at this time. Right, which was fine. <laughs> the the information <laughs> that needed to get out got out. And that you were in significant danger, you were in failure. That was communicated, but everything else just shut down. There was nothing anybody could do except potentially distract me. So I feel in wow. some ways that was that was fine. The tower probably didn't enjoy that. And they were my first call when I was on the ground because I knew they were sitting there watching. But that was good. And I, I am very, very grateful that I did not have anybody with me. So yeah. it was just me in the plane. And I had no problem deciding what my priority was and, and allowing whatever was going to happen to me. I would do my best, but I was ready to go. Was the plane hard, you know, just educate me, was the plane hard to control? You're gliding. Are you trying to like try and maximize your time in the air? Absolutely. And there's there's training for that. Okay. And it's called what we call best glide. So you you configure the airplane so that its energy is giving you the the best glide. So you're not nosing down and bombing down, but you're not nosing up and potentially stalling the airplane, which would then could create a spin. So there's this happy place and we have tools on board to set that up right away. And that is the first thing I did. In fact, flight aware captures these kinds of things. And you can, you could pull up my tail number and every, anybody could look at that and see that I actually gave myself 200 feet because I put the, the best glide inputs in so I wasn't trying to do it just with my hands. I got it onto the airspeed. And, and so that that is a big takeaway and a big thing I share when I'm talking to the aviation community about training. And these scenarios, we practice, we train. What if you lose your engine? You know, my responsibility now is to just really impress upon my industry that you better practice that for real and really set that stage and and have that be a part of your body and your brain. So you're up, you know, you're you're able to capture some additional altitude as a result of your quick thinking. Buy yourself some more time as you kind of surveyed the environment. You see the golf course, too many people, you see the soccer field. If I hear you correctly, not enough space to land given your velocity. Well, because I had to bank 180 degrees to get to that field, I wasn't convinced I would actually achieve getting to the field and the homes were right up against it. I gotcha. Yeah. 
So then you're, which this is insane to talk about, by the way, like I'm sitting here and I'm starting to actually like, I think sweat a little. So I appreciate you going through this again. I'm going to have, no, no. To have a glass of wine after this. But, so- well, Megan, it, it, one of the reasons I did trauma therapy, because I needed to understand why I was not afraid. And yeah. we can talk about that later, but I, I, I was that. not afraid. I was doing my job and not killing anybody. Which is, this is remarkable. Okay, so you're, but the silence, like one of the things that I'm really astounded by is that you only hear the whir of the air at this point. Do you remember hearing? Was your heart racing? What do you remember? No, no, I wasn't trying to listen. I was, I was doing a job with very little time. I had very little time. I mean, I had a thousand feet to hit the ground. I had 500 feet to pick the spot. Right. Wow. Yeah. So talk us into your decision as to where you ultimately intentionally crash landed. We call it an emergency landing. (laughs) Okay. We need an attitude adjustment here. (laughs) That's perfect. I I love good semantics. Carry on. Your intention. How about that? Yes. The emergency landing occurred. As I said, you know, I looked, I stopped banking so that I could control my my rate a little more and found an area that I only saw treetops and no rooftops. I mean, you think about 315 and 270 and Linworth and, you know, it's... These it's, are major roads to anyone who's yeah, listening. Yeah, it's a neighborhood. Neighborhood. So it ended up being a ravine between two streets. And, and my once I had my spot, I can't tell you how many seconds that was. I, I I actually probably could, but we're talking 10, 15, 20 seconds. Once I had the spot, my entire mantra was fly, put the right energy into the plane, just fly the plane. And I believe that is part of why I was not damaged more because I was focused on that. In other words, I wasn't gripping in fear or I wasn't afraid of what was going to happen. I just knew that the only thing I could control and being my age and having life traumas and different things, you realize that you really, the only thing that you're in charge of is, is how you handle things. And so at that moment, that was my job was to handle this in the best way. And I was not afraid. When I entered the canopy, my only memory was green, green, green. And then I'm stopped. And when you, when you look at the plane, you see all the banging and crashing and swinging and things that happened. That's not a part of my memory. And, and that had some interesting outcomes when I pursued some trauma therapy afterwards, because you bet. What do you think, you know, what slowed you down? Obviously, the tree canopy is structurally a a great place to incrementally slow you down. But (laughs) was it was it really robust? Was the tree canopy thick? Was there a certain like tree that, you know, you largely went into? Yeah, there was some magic there that I had nothing to do with because I can't see anything. You know, I'm just flying into the forest and I saw green, but there was a tree that the first responders measured for me. I hit it at 30 feet above the ground and just think of your arms as the wing and it, it 
it I hit it right at the armpit of my left wing and it swung me around 180 degrees away from larger trees and trunks. And then it didn't just break, it bent down with me and then crammed me into the side of the ravine and stayed there so I wouldn't slide or roll. So the Norway maple was a piece of magic that just said, not today, Christine. It was a Norway maple, huh? It was. You know, one of my favorite sayings is the strength of a tree lies in its ability to bend. What a tangible representation of that statement, huh? Oh, I have pictures of of that trunk where it bent. And it. I think because the plane, you know, whipped it around a couple of times, it sort of, uh, it looks like a Japanese fan. It's just spread out. It didn't break and pop. It just bent and and the sun was on all the time. You know, every time I looked at that part, it was in the sun. And, you know, I I just noticed that. Wow. <laughs> so I, I want to get, I would do want to get to, <clears throat> excuse me, the kind of the aftermath. But sure. one of the things that was interesting and reflecting is last year, I had a conversation with our, our friend, astronaut and deep sea explorer, Catherine Sullivan. And she talked about the, I think, very common aviation mantra of aviate, navigate, communicate. Uh, Obviously has a lot of real principles uh, and frankly, applicability to one's work, nonprofit board work, you know, what have you. So talk a little bit about that kind of real life application for you, because in your experience, you lost a third of that mantra. But it did not impact you. In fact, you just changed it around and said by not having the distraction of those voices, mm-hmm. it actually probably positively impacted your decision-making and action. So speak to that. Well, I, I did get it in. I communicated emergency, really? yeah. no engine, one soul on board. So, you know, aviate, that's that best glide that I applied right away. Navigate. Targeting locations, assessing them and deciding, you know, pretty quickly and decisively. So it was really my third location that was the winner. And then the communicate, you know, all those things did did occur. And so that does work. Navigate. Are you are you doing the job? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I, I think that mantra does have a lot of applicability. It does. Um, I've thought it, about it quite a bit, whether it be through just, you know, things here at work when we've had unexpected things arise and so forth. Well, Megan, there's something about flying a plane. Yeah. That one of the things that I really love, and perhaps it's it's also something I developed as a professional performer. You know, it, when I have candidates come here and they have to suffer a two, three hour oral with me and then go perform in the plane. That's a big day for them and there's anxiety. But I think what I learned in that that first career of mine was how to navigate anxiety and how to train my mind to focus on the moment. And even if I made a mistake, not to let my mind keep thinking about that mistake, but my mind had to be three measures ahead, you know, of the of the music. And it's that kind of, we don't get that. We're so multitasking. I think it's, we need to invite ourselves to, to get into that focus, that 
that freedom we have when we really just focus on one one thing or one discipline at a time at certain times. But I think that gave me the tools then. Think of flying. It's not like we can pull over and look at a map and think about it. You know, you're flying or you're not. There's no like, let's take a break. <laughs> you know, let's pause for a minute. And that that kind of focus I really like. And I maybe because of all that other training I had. I think your training though, you know, when you're looking at planning for three steps ahead and 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 going with the flow very quickly, reacting, even if there is a mistake, just moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Reacting with the selflessness that you did is another. And you know, while experiencing this engine fit without ability to further communicate, your primary focus was to get the plane on the ground without harming anyone. And I, I just, I, I'm really intrigued. Anybody about, else? Anybody else? That's that's yes. I, I wanna, was ready. I was ready to go. So it, I, I was nowhere in that equation, except to not take anybody with me. And I don't. That blows my mind because you're sitting. I think you just said 71 gallons of fuel. Mm-hmm. You've just you've had an emergency landing. Yeah. <laughs> your plane <laughs> now leaking fuel. But you, if I remember what you shared with me before, you're, you you didn't think about yourself. You were trying to figure out how to notify the homeowner to get them to evacuate and be safe. Right. What happened in those moments? You mean once the plane stopped? How did you ground? get out? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I first I saw my phone on the floor by my feet and I thought, well, I got to get that because... I got some phone calls to make. Right? <laughs> It'll be <laughs> late. Yeah. So I'm leaning down to get that. And then the wing that hit that tree was completely broken and fuel was was pouring out. So I said, never mind the phone. I, I had stronger words in my mind, but I said yeah. not the phone. Shifted to the to try to exit the other way and the doors were crammed, but I could open the window. And I became a snake on steroids. I don't even know how I got out of that window, but I did. And then ran up the ravine and circled around to there was a woman walking her dog with headphones on. So I, I got her attention and used her phone and got the homeowner. And there was a guy, I've never met him. If you're listening, I'd love to meet you. But there was a homeowner on the other side of the ravine who actually flies military planes out of Rickenbacker. And he heard me fly over and he knew this was horrible. And he ran down, got to my plane, and he was just like, I don't know what's going on. He was expecting to find a pretty seriously injured soul. And he found nobody. (laughs) He couldn't even figure out how I got out. So it all just happened. So you've never had a follow-up conversation with this gentleman? No, he's actually Channel 10 did did a a, a pretty pretty nice piece about it. I mean, yeah. they 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 did it about the pilot instead of the sensational accident, which I really appreciated. And they interviewed wow. this guy. But yeah, I mean he <laughs> yeah, I it is kind of stunning that I wasn't more injured. Well, you know, to this this magic of this this period of time, I think you had obviously a lot of this this mindfulness training that you've done throughout your life, but also the muscle memory. You had a job, you were executing it, and you were kind of going through that checklist. I think that's something that a lot of people resonate with is the idea of, you know, in our professional capacities, preparation is key. It's very comforting. I, I say often... I can often, uh, I can't be the smartest in the room, but I can probably be the most prepared. 
And I have a lot of, of comfort from that. You know, something that where that diverts though, COVID immediately comes to mind. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Christina, I'm, you know, now been elected for one full term, but prior to that, my predecessor was here for almost 50 years. <laughs> a legend, an absolute legend of public service. Mm-hmm. And one would think he would have seen just about everything in those 50 years of leadership, but he had never, he never had to contend with a pandemic. And so, you know, the idea of like, you know, for me professionally, I had a checklist. We executed that checklist, kind of went down that list. And then, in, you know, sometimes I think in life, there are things that obviously happen where we have to rely upon our training, our best instincts. And that's certainly something that you had to do. But again, going beyond a a typical person, one thing that strikes me is that you were never thinking about yourself. What what do you think happened in your mind that allowed you to just say, I'm at peace, if that's what happened? Well, that was a part of what I wanted to address in some therapy I saw it trauma therapy afterwards. I mean, I I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid to go back up and fly. Part of why I went to trauma therapy was to figure out why I wasn't afraid. And I think do not, we should never underestimate what we have done in our life because it's surprising how those things will come back and serve you. For some reason, I have always been interested in reading about death and dying. And I have read books to be able to talk to, this is personal, you know, take it or leave it, but it's part of my equation. You know, I wanted to know how to talk to my doctor about if I just need to help myself go away, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm and, and I ended up being with my grandmother when she passed away mm-hmm. and I looked at her, you know, and I said, okay, grandma, I will do something about this. You know, she kind of invited me to be a part of that chapter. So when I got home, I became a hospice volunteer for five years. Wow. And I, I did that with, and I, I did it in the, in where the beds were so that I could be a part of the whole process. I really, it meant a lot to me. And I'm pretty sure that that awareness and acceptance was a part of that for me. I'm not afraid of dying. I don't want to die, but I'm at peace with that. Um, I think that's why. And in the, it was EMDR. Yeah, the type of trauma therapy that I I saw it, and I I found a wonderful clinician here in town, and spent two sessions with him. And you know, my my question was, why was I not afraid? What what everyone's telling me you must have been afraid. And he, you know, leaned forward and had a glint in his eye, and he said, Christine, you're you are not afraid to die. You're at peace with that. So you got to experience flying in a canopy. Mm-hmm. You got to see and feel the green and that's okay. So then I asked him, okay, well, what if I want to feel that banging around? Can we go there? And he said, nope. <laughs> you just said, just be happy with the green. Your brain's not going to let you feel, feel that physical knocking around that happened. And so I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. I am amazed by how 
the brain works. I've been, you know, somewhat fortunate to not have to to have to practice, you know, kind of that level of intense processing in my past. But just about a year ago in January, my mother unexpectedly passed away. And her death itself was uh, really traumatic. I was there in the room alone with her. There was an incorrect resuscitation. And so ultimately, you know, as I had to make a decision, it was very violent. And those are things that you're correctly never prepared for. But it was a really, really traumatic experience being in charge of someone else's passing. And the violence of a, re, of a resuscitation is, for those who have had to, to, to see it, it is real and it, it's really hard. So I found myself, you know, still being very shaken by that. A lot of nightmares, a lot of scar tissue. And, you know, today I really do have a deeper appreciation for the art of mindfulness, kind of very intentionally trying to give your brain a break. And, and I think more recently, some words that have come into my my vocabulary of self-compassion. And, you know, I think one of the things I respect most about you is you are not seeking complete and absolute answers. You're finding comfort in that space Mm -hmm. of maybe the in-between and maybe that trauma therapy helped you get there. But I feel like your entire life, you're just such a, you're really comfortable. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think a lot of people who've known me my whole life would would laugh hysterically at that. I think, <laughs> I think you know it's it's we are always a process. You know we're always getting better. It's why we get up in the morning. Untimely death is is a whole different ball of wax. And I'm sorry you were so intimately connected to that actual moment, and it will not ever leave you. But there are places that it can be that can be a part of you. You know, that idea that we have scars, physical scars. I have so many scars. The only time I'm graceful is when I'm on the stage. Otherwise I'm <laughs> cool in a shot. Um, but I just have scars all over the place and you know, they're trophies. Yeah. And they're stories and they're part of who we are, but we have scars on our ego. We have scars on our hearts, you know, and that's who we are. It, the next yeah. time we hang out, I'll show you some pretty spectacular <laughs> scars around my knees. One thing, you know, by by nature, I think people at work perceive me to be, I would say, uh, you know, pretty pragmatic, conservative about, you know, decision making at times and not when it comes to adventure. And, I'll, you know, even when I was a youngster, I loved the idea of trying to accomplish something that I kind of knew was probably not going to be successful. And so I have a lot of scars to prove that. But one of my favorites, I still have a few small rocks in my left knee from a scooter. I I was dead set on trying to execute a front flip. I think I was like eight years old um, using a ramp. And so those are the scars that I can process a little bit easier, to be honest. Christine, you know, and when I kind of gave you that, that I, the adjective of, of, you know, you appear very comfortable, the intent is like your, your mental fortitude. I've been in the cockpit. I've had the luxury of flying with you and I've seen you, your ease, your, you're like a, a brilliant chef in the kitchen. That is your cockpit. You were going through your checklist, but it is, it's a beautiful art. And so that mental fortitude, I give a lot of credit to individuals who are able to 
fly into space or deep sea dive. I loved to recreationally dive, but I couldn't imagine going down hundreds of feet. And I think that really is about mental fortitude. You're, 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 you're powering your brain to be able to tell you what to do to execute perfectly in times of a stressful situation. And maybe that's through a lot of your learned experiences that you are, you have trained your brain to the place that it is today. Well, it's, it's also a willingness to navigate failure. Hmm. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? I mean, it's, it's a, a willingness to try something and, and if it doesn't work out to, to own that and hmm. move on. And it, I mean, all adventures, a lot of adventures happen when something goes wrong, unless you're like you and me, and we are planning all these adventures all the time because we just love them. But there's freedom and rules. So that that helps. You're talking about how we plan, we're organized. I, I feel strongly about that mantra. However, there's a lot of gray in the world as well. You know, we just navigate these things as best we can. And were you always this comfortable with the idea of failure or is that something that's also been learned? No, I learned that, I believe. I mean, I, yes, I, I, in my music career, there were times when I was really nervous and trying to be something instead of myself who was a singer. So I learned that shift. To not try to be something, be yourself who is doing something. Hmm. I, I think a lot of times in, and I'll speak to the public sector, but also in, I've been in public and private both, there's a perception that failure is giving up, that you are you know, leaving something behind. And I, I, I think you know this, but I teach at the John Glenn College at Ohio State, and I really tie and impress upon these students that failure is sometimes a very intentional pivot where the physics of the environment have changed so sizably that your program that you had in place is simply no longer going to fit. I love the idea of reinvention. And, you know, when you are able to kind of to, to spin it with, especially the students and inspire them to look at a very intentional pivot, that is more, I think, you know, just very, it's very appetizing at that point. I do that all the time in my professional, you know, kind of days, but that's, it also speaks to interest. And, and let me ask you, you know, you had classical music, you've been a conductor, you've, you know, been a great singer, you've been aviator. Do you find that you hyper-focus on, you know, these items and like really become an expert or are you super varied? You know, tell me about like what, how your interest, how your brain works. Well, I like to spin a lot of plates. I just, I will never be bored. You know, I've had more than one friend in my lifetime say, I can't be your friend anymore. You've just got too much energy. I've had, I, I, I have a, a friend uh, who says that to me all the time. And yeah. if she's listening right now, she's probably cracking up. Yes. She's probably chuckling. Yeah. yeah. Having said that though, there are times when I have to stop the world and, and, and disappear and be quiet for a day. So, you know, the yin and yang is always there, but I just have a very curious mind. I had a dad who had a different way of raising me. You know, I was independent at 14 and fiscally responsible for myself at that time. And what it did give me was a sense of if something needs to be done, I can do it. You know, I'm renting the lawnmower to mow lawns to pay for my clothes. 
something breaks, I have to figure it out and go do it. So, you know, that was a gift. It was kind of shocking, you know, for other people who knew me, what? But, you know, it taught me that, you know, something has to be done. You could probably do it. That doesn't mean I that we can and should do everything, but it it's a it's a nice thing to have that sense of curiosity and and I think it is a discipline you 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 have an interest you do the research you sit down you put the time in and then you apply it and decide how much is going to be in your life I mean I was getting up at four in the morning with my pencils doing score study when I had an orchestra and then when I decided to start flying I was up at four in the morning studying for three or four hours you know so yeah, you focus. But to me, that's like all the time you're focusing on something because that's why we're here. I think on your business card, we should add the phrase, why not? Why not? <laughs> you know, I, I think that's so. So I'm really curious, you know, was there ever a time when you did not think about getting back into a plane? Did you think about it was flying? Did you ever question if you would fly again? No, not not at all. I, I did stand down for three weeks because my body, I did end up having a pinched nerve and a mild concussion. So I stood down, but I also, you know, had a lot of sleep, sleepless nights. What if, what, you know, could I, could this, you know, what, what happened yeah. <laughs> by working that? So I stood down for three weeks and, and so I canceled all, all flying but I had a long-term commitment with a family three weeks after my emergency landing that I did not want to cancel. That was, I was dispersing ashes wow. of parents and the families were getting together from all over the country to have a reunion for this event. And I decided that that was a pretty good first flight after my event. And I had to borrow a plane, right? Because mine was gone. Yeah. So I called a, a dear friend and colleague. And I said, can I borrow your plane? And she said, yes. And I said, are you sure? And she, she said, I said, you understand the scenario. And she said three words, I trust you. Yeah. And so I went up, we flew around the patch once for her to, you know, be in her plane with me which is just a nice thing for both of us. And then I flew it up by myself. I felt at home, at peace, where I was supposed to be. You were smiling. You were. You knew you were, you were safe and you were in control. Well, I was just, I'm not even sure I was smiling because I was feeling the, the immensity of it, but I felt like I was where I belonged. I love that phrase though, where you belonged. You felt mm-hmm. where, and you went with your gut. I'm curious, you know, very clearly, it sounds like you had no apprehension as to getting back into the, the plane, but what did, what did your friends and your family say? And, and also tell us about your family because you have a pretty robust family now. Oh, well, I, I had, I, I had lots of colleagues tell me a couple of things that I, I didn't really, I had people, friends, other pilots in the industry say things like, you must have been really scared. And I wasn't. And I heard uh, more often than I, than I expected, you better hurry up and get back up there. You know, that first flight's really going to be tough. And I chose to 
to think of a nice word. I just wanted to say bugger off. (laughs) (laughs) Let, Let me have, and that's the other important thing. We all have our own paths and our own timing. There is no right. There is no should. There's just ours. And I think we're hard on ourselves and to each other about that. But I took my own time and three weeks was not that long (laughs) after letting just the body heal and the brain. But I, you know, those expectations, they weren't particularly helpful, but they were how they felt and maybe their own experiences. So I appreciate the opportunity. I'm so happy that I can talk about this event. I'm so happy I didn't injure anybody or anything except my plane. I, it's a, it's a real blessing that I can talk about these things right now. You know, getting back to your, your family, tell us about your family. Oh, it's just a regular family. You know, I have two children and, and Neil, it's our second marriage. He has yeah. two children and I'm a grandma. Grandkids, exactly. I've got grandkids. So that's my point. What did these grandkids say to you? <laughs> After all this went down, and are they getting you subscriptions to Audible and Netflix and trying to say, Grandma, like, let's just go on a nice, simple, easy beach vacation? I think everybody close to me knows me well enough to not even go there. (laughs) I think I was surprised how quickly I replaced the plane. I I kind of put it out to my aviation backcountry family, and by golly, they found me a beautiful replacement almost a little too soon, but the family is, is very understanding my, my spouse, you know, that, you know, the focus was on me, me, me for months because I needed that. And then suddenly it was kind of an aha moment. It was like, Neil, how did this affect you? How are you feeling now? And because he, he does fly with me and he's, he said it, it, he still worries when I go up, but he is a completely 150%. My mother secretly tracks me. She's got a, she gets an alert on her computer whenever my tail number is doing something and she knows where I am and what I'm doing. And, oh, that's and my mother, my mother will not fly with me, but she she did write two beautiful poems oh. for Songbird. And, and I who have, is Songbird? Tell us who yeah, Songbird, Songbird is. is the the airplane that is not here now. But I use one of her poems in my, I have a presentation I do, and I have one of her poems there. And that's, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. Well, I'm going to ask, with your permission, some kind of ending questions, but let's do this. These aren't rapid fire because I think you're, you're, I'm really curious to your responses, but where, for example, do you do your best thinking? My best thinking when I'm out in, in nature, mm-hmm. walking or hiking or skiing or backpacking, and when I'm in having a soak in the bathtub. (laughs) Great answer. What are you afraid of? Mm. Ticks. Great answer. (laughs) Who is your favorite aviator, real or fictional? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have lots of heroes. One of my biggest heroes is actually Shackleton, mm-hmm. who was not an aviator, but an explorer. 
who kept his team alive for a year. Mm-hmm. I think that's hero. Aviators, my, my, my everyday heroes are the pilots that fly the Airbuses, the big, big planes that United and come home and hop in their single engine plane and still do stick and rudder. They're kind of my heroes, um, everyday heroes. But there are so many, I mean, this is a young industry, really, when you think about being human. And a lot of fatalities happened because they were trying things. And so just, I would say that history. I mean, Kathy Sullivan's right up there. And I have the privilege of owning one of her, her planes. So, you know. She's, Which makes me smile real big. I have yes. a picture of her on my wall right now. Kathy, if you're listening, we love you. And I would be happy to be your intern any day of the week. Christine, what is your favorite national park? Oh, my goodness. Well, I I serve on the National Parks Conservation Association. And my uh, region is the north northwestern Rockies. I'm a mountain girl. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Uh, Tetons, Rockies, uh, Yosemite. I can't give you a favorite. Big Bend is great. That's a good political answer. I like it. I won't force you into anything more. (laughs) more Aliakala. I mean, just (laughs) any any of them are are spectacular. We are a very lucky country. To that, what is the smallest or let's say most challenging airport you've ever flown into? Oh, that's kind of easy. Backcountry in Idaho and Montana. And how do you land there? Carefully. <laughs> right. I mean, you're, you're in between mountains and valleys and the runway's not level. You, you land up Crick and take off down Crick and you've got density altitude and short fields and turf and mud. And so those are, and that's why I have the type of plane I have because that's what I really like to do. The listeners, it's just like parking a car. Just like it, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Christine, when you're flying commercial, window or aisle seat? Oh, window. Perfect. <laughs> and then last question, you know, and you deserve this. You have exploration is, is very near and dear to you. Like your heart and your mind have to be fulfilled. And I love that you're on this kind of perpetual quest for knowledge and, and frankly, leaving places often better than you found them, which is something that I cherish about your thank dedication you. to this that's work. A, that's a goal of mine, that exact phrase. So thank I, you. I love it. If you had an all-access pass to go anywhere that you, you possibly could, and that's for dreaming right now, but 23, 24, sure. where would you go? Where's your next really, really, really big trip? Hmm. Well, my punch list is New Zealand because there's mountains and water and flying and sheep, you know, I like all those things. Well, maybe if our listeners have any recommendations, they're um, previously been to New Zealand, they've got some great ideas, great adventures, maybe they can get back to you with some ideas. Thank you. Christine, I appreciate your openness today. It amazes me that you're able to take your experience and pay it forward. And I'm just, I'm just honored um, that you were able to, to teach us, remind us that you can never estimate, frankly, the impact of the experiences of your past and what they can mean to you in your present and in your future. I also love that, you know, frankly, you remind us that only, only we as individuals are in charge at the end of the day of ourselves, our well-being, our happiness, and so forth. And I'm, I'm honored by your presence. I'm also honored to call you a friend. So with that, listeners, I appreciate your time and your attention. And thank you for 
Again, joining us on this Gravity podcast, be sure to subscribe if you already haven't. And I hope I can join you again as a guest host. Be well, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Gravity podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.